Welcome to Galaxy Brains, the weekly podcast from Galaxy Research. See me dipping quick, flipping lots, see me ripping shots. I'll be slinging big facts, I'm dripping hot wax. Yo, the galaxy is out of this world, contact. I'm bold like a font, paying dues like a T-bill. Holding down the swamp is my dude, call him T-Will. I'm loading all your bonds, cause the risk isn't zero. Stacking up my coins, cause Satoshi is the hero. When the vultures run the banks, you can see their hawkish paws. On TV with credentials like their name was Dr. Oz. Begging us for thanks, just for doing up their jobs. And if I'm being frank, I think we need some newer laws. Yo, from Bitcoin Park to Mars, you can see us spark the cause. I write incisive bars like a shark that fights with jaws. The message is the movement, when I do this, it's the truest. I'm the newest outcome that the fewest know about sun galaxy brains as always i'm your host alex thorne head of firmwide research at galaxy digital thank you for listening to galaxy brains great to have you with us we have a great show today tyler williams our friend head of public policy at galaxy digital is our guest we're going to talk at length with tyler about the house financial services committee hearing politics in washington around crypto and generally it's a great and timely conversation of course, we'll also check in with our good friend Binmet Abibi from Galaxy Trading, as always, to talk about markets and macro. Big Fed decision this week, a hawkish pause, so to speak. Uh, it's a great conversation as usual. Before I get into all of that, I need to remind you to please refer to the link to the disclaimer on the podcast notes and note that none of the information contained in this podcast represents investment advice or an offer recommendation or solicitation by Galaxy Digital or any of its affiliates to buy or sell any securities. Yo, Phineas, I like this beat, man. This is going to be a good episode, so let's hop right into it. Let's go now to our friend Bimnet Abibi from Galaxy Trading. As always, Bimnet, great to have you on. Thanks for having me. So uh, it's I'm not going to do our little shtick here, but oh, yes, today fine. it was Fed Day today. Super Bowl, big day. So, but uh, I'm gonna I'll break the news. This was the first pause of the cycle. No rate hike today. Yeah. Um, what's the take here? I mean, what what's going on? Um, sort of. They're sending conflicting messages. The idea that data is strong enough for them to think that they need to raise rates two more times this year, which is what was indicated in their dot plot, yeah. yet not strong enough to ne necessitate a hike this meeting seems particularly odd. Yeah. Um, in addition, you know, we did have like pretty strong CPI yesterday, right? Uh, with core CPI coming in, you know, 0.4, Hold, 5.3%, right? you know, year on year, yeah. you're still over 300 basis points above core, like your core CPI target. You did have some soft PPI data this morning, but again, like it's pretty clear the U.S. is still well behind its inflation target, and the Fed chose not to hike today. And I think at its face, you have like actions speak louder than words, right? And so just because they're telling you that they're going to hike two more times, right. I don't necessarily think that they will actually hike th those two That's more so times. That's so interesting. Because um, if they were going to hike two more times, why not do them now? Or start and then with stop one. After yeah. those two. Yeah, exactly. This weird pause. And, and we've also learned, I mean, the, the messaging of the Fed early on was that there's clear advantages to front loading. Right. Right. And you want the bulk of your rate policy done like sooner rather than later than drawing it out. Right. And so this is a Fed that went from being like, oh, front loading is really important to monetary policy works with a lag. Like, we're going to pause. Right. Uh, but right. here's the thing. You also have to think about what other central banks did, right? And so the RBA took a pause, the Royal Bank of Australia. The Bank of Canada took a pause. Um, and they have since had to hike again. Right. And, you know, there may be more subsequent hikes. So, However, those curves yeah. were behind the U.S.'s, and U.S. terminal right. is, is pretty high. Um, 
It's but pretty strange and different. Has there ever been a hiking cycle in the U.S. where they paused and then hiked again? Like a pause as opposed to a, a cessation of hikes? Do we know? Uh, yes. But, but it's not uh, but, common, but, but right? But it's not common. Yeah. Um, typically, it's like you hike, you hike, you stop, and then you force the cut. And then you cut. cut. Right, right. <laughs> Uh, and that's, you've hiked and too that's far. what's indicated by like all the crazy inversion and the curves and like what that right. historically means and stuff. Uh, and so, you know, it is it is strange behavior, but the precedent was set by other central banks recently. Right. And so it's not like crazy. It's just a little intellectually dishonest. Yeah, I think, because if you are intellectually honest about the data set in front of you, and what you've conveyed to the market in terms of what the market thinks your response function is to data, yeah, right? Then in theory, you should have gone, right? There's nothing about the labor market that says it's cracking. Right. You had one uptick in initial jobless claims, one this cycle so far. And there's been 14 upward revisions in the labor data. <laughs> and we printed 300,000 jobs last time. It is. It is actually crazy, uh, and so it really is. It's it's a, I I mean we were talking about this you and I yesterday. Um, mm -hmm. Like I would just I would keep hiking. Like why 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 are they not? Yeah, you the, know. But stocks are but at trend the, highs. The, the unemployment's still low. Yeah. Like, but I guess but, they but don't want to overhike. And you keep so, hiking, then it's like wait, then it gets okay. worse than it should. Yeah. Well, so financial conditions are really important, and right now financial conditions. Um, you know, in terms of where the Fed is most focused on, is probably with respect to banking system stress, right. or one of their main areas of focus. That's true. Right? And so the further you jack up front-end rates, the more that the curve is going to invert, which, again, as we've talked about in past podcasts, it's just literally the worst thing that can happen to a bank balance sheet, right? They've got liabilities in the front end, assets in the back end, right? Cost of liabilities go up, and the yeah. value of their assets go down. Like yeah, it's, it's, it's bad. bad. Yeah. Right? And so uh, realistically, like, there's potential systemic consequences if they just keep going like this although i think it's it's probably less likely than it has been historically like or re, uh, recently um you know just look at things like the bank stock index kre you know those have rallied people have stopped shorting bank right, stocks like right. crazy that was a wild in time. addition bank deposits have have kept up and a lot of these small banks have change their behaviors in order to adjust for this higher rate environment, a.k.a. we're going to offer everybody CDs at really high rates. Yeah. And so, yeah, my deposits aren't going away. I'm just going to pay a lot of money for those deposits. And so their profitability is continuing to go down and down. However, the deposit issue and the you know solvency issue won't, won't be, be there. Bad. Yeah. And the other thing to keep in mind is that a lot of this, like, you know, rates are going up, et cetera. But ultimately, like, monetary policy is meant to uh, change, like, the everyday person's life, right? The everyday person has to buy food and groceries. They got to buy their apartment, right? And, or rent their apartment. Yeah. And so, like, when we're thinking down to, like, the average man or woman level, right, like, this, these high rates haven't, ha haven't really impacted them at all. Right. Grocery prices are still high. They've come down electronics and things. There's spots. But inflation is still impacting 
that everyday person. And the only thing that's really gone down in value are like asset prices. Like right. Cryptos come down in value. Right. Like NASDAQ came off of bubble levels, went down a lot, and <laughs> now is back at bubble levels. Well, that's what I was but saying. But it's, like, yeah. it's, it's like commercial real estate, right. right? Right. The things that are being impacted are assets, and particularly ones that are sensitive to interest rates. And who owns those assets? Not the average man. Right. And so realistically, like there's – you could argue that there's still a lot of wood to chop yeah. with respect to getting inflation down right. for the everyday person. That's what I'm thinking. And the issue is it really comes down to the tightness in the labor market, right. which is there's a, a lot of job openings still and not that many people have gotten laid off. And, you know, there's tons of mobility in the labor market and that's not going to change for a really long time. And so it's tricky. It is tricky. And I guess pausing then i guess can make sense too in that trick because it's tricky they say you know yeah it's possible maybe we don't i have mean to. and i guess is there, maybe they're finally getting some prudence remember i used to call it whipsaw monetary policy we were saying they were uh they they, they had uh they cut faster and more quickly and printed more money than in all of history and then oh crap that was too much cutting and printing now we have crazy inflation and then they they waited too long to start hiking and then it's like, well, if I say keep hiking now, maybe they'll have waited too. It'll actually get way worse. We'll have a hard landing because they'll have, right. So they're are they maybe they're trying to just finally be prudent and just wait a little bit and a word how it feels yeah. like pragmatic. Pragmatic, not prudent, um, but yeah. And yes, I think there's more nuance to the job yeah. than just looking at data and being like. Oh, formulaically, yes no. my inflation's here. My policy rate has to be so here. So it's like they're sensing right? it. They've got they, their finger I, on the pulse. That's in theory. That's what they they told us that they they're trying to do better at because they missed it yeah. on the on the other way. Right. Uh, and so now you know they've been more dynamic about like creating indices that aren't as lagging. Right. Like the owner's equivalent rent used to be one of those big lagging indicators. They came out with like a diffusion thing, etc. They've got all of these like now casts, Atlanta Fed and New York Fed, like the employment. So they're looking at a much broader set of data. Yeah. Um, and they also have the, their own internal surveys, et cetera. Um, so they are in theory, more, you know, feeling the pulse of the market a bit better. Yeah. The other thing I'd like to mention is that, you know, they need the market to believe, to give them credibility. Right. Right. And so that's kind of one of the big reasons why I think they, you know, showed a 50 basis point increase in the dot plot for this year is because they need people to think that interest rates are going to stay higher for longer, right? If you have these dramatic cuts priced into the back end of the curve, it's like realistically, like what are you actually doing? You start it, pricing it, those cuts. You're not really hiking. Because if, if the market knows they're going to come down later. Yeah. You kind of so, start pricing those in, right? Exactly. Yeah. And so it's one of those things where. So it's kind of like, it's this, we've talked about this before. they got to talk a tough game. They have to. Um, and that's that's just to implement the policy. Like they, they, there's, you know, for the smooth functioning amount, they have to raise the TGA and stuff. Yeah. Right. If like there's all this issuance, nobody's going to want to buy paper that has all of these cuts priced into it. Right. Right. And all right. So let's, let's let's talk. Let's do a couple more. Just a minute or two left here. Let's talk about cryptos, um, obviously, and, and Bitcoin. Obviously, um, it's been basically flat all week. Right. I mean, down yeah. last weekend was a big like risk off or. Uh, yeah, event with the, for, for mostly for alts, but for mm -hmm. crypto, I mean, t I mean, a lot of alts were off 15, 20 percent um, and they haven't really recovered. Um, but we had all those events on Tuesday of the, the court hearings, the Binance court hearing, the House hearing, the 
the Coinbase like SEC response to their rulemaking petition stuff, right? We covered all this, and I was tweeting about this all on Tuesday. In the end, most of that ended up being neutral for, for crypto. The pause, shouldn't that, if pause means maybe cut sometime, we've said for a long time, we think that's bullish Bitcoin. Bitcoin's sitting at 25.8. Again, we're just that, just below that long time channel, just where we were. It seems flat. Yeah. What's your outlook in the near term? So generally speaking, when things are very confusing, lots of moving pieces, et cetera, uh, I tend to look at the charts, right? And, you know, my, our CEO has this saying, you know, people lie, charts don't. Yep. And when I look at the charts, the most interesting one right now, unfortunately, is uh, is ETH. And ETH looks like it is breaking support right now. Yeah. Um, that support being in the range of like 1730 to 1750. And, you know, it's support that's held for the past three months. And you're getting like closes below those 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 support lines. And to me, like I, I don't see that many upside catalysts for ETH. In the sense that where is the new money coming from to support ETH, yeah. right? A bunch of retail just got burned on some of the, these these alts. Um, and so, and, you know, there's not a new meme coin popping off. You look at gas prices, they've come off. And then you look at the ETH BTC chart, that looks like it's starting it's to trend, yeah. trend lower. And so I really do think that you could be entering a period of ETH underperformance. Yep. At the same time, on the, on the Bitcoin side... I think you're on the cusp of the macro argument being about as strong as ever, because if we are going to go into a hard learning scenario and we're cutting rates again or inflation's coming down and we're cutting rates again, like risk assets have already started to jump. Right. Like Nasdaq is close to the trend highs. S&P is close to the trend highs. And it's one of those things that has no ambiguity about whether or not it is a security. Right. It is definitely the, a commodity. It's the only one that is definitely. And. The way it trades is one of uh, an asset class that has matured. It does not go down 20%. It goes down like a couple percent here and there. Um, the volatility profile has, has improved in my eyes. Yeah. And I think it's one that's going to perpetually continue to improve as you get you know more adoption, macro story improves, etc. Like there's going to be a lot of buyer. It, I, I'll tell you, if Bitcoin stayed here for the next six months yeah. in a row, mm -hmm. just up and down a percent, the amount of money that would flow in, I think, would be absurd. That's great. Right? The volatility. The, and the, the volatility, yeah. right? The lower the vol, the more notional that people can right. fit in. Right. And uh, yeah, I mean, it, 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 it becomes one of those self fulfilling things. One of the things that is so discouraging to uh, uh, about Bitcoin, especially for the larger macro types, is like, oh, this thing moves like crazy on next to nothing. Right. Like, what's going on, et cetera. Yeah. The moment a lot of that goes away, um, I think that will draw a lot more um, new money into yeah. into the system. Yeah, yeah. Myself included. Much bigger money can much play. Much bigger. Yeah. Much bigger. Right. Like. Yeah. Yards, yards, and, it, <laughs> yards. and it's the market that doesn't. Like I'm telling you, you this market. If it had an influx of ten yards. Yeah. Pop it off. I mean, oh my God. Bimnet Abibi from Galaxy Trading, my friend. As always, thanks so much for coming on Galaxy Brains. Thank you. Let's go to our friend Tyler Williams, Galaxy's head of public policy uh, in Washington. Tyler, great to have you back on the show, as always. Good to see you, Alex. Thanks for having me back. It's uh, it's always fun to talk with you, Tyler. And um, you know, I think one of the first time, one of the uh, we've talked a couple times, but one that I'm remembering, we talked uh, during FTX week. I think you were our guest the week that FTX collapsed, and we were talking about how 
uh, how negatively this was going to impact sentiment in Washington. Of course, uh, you were right. <laughs> Fast forward, you know, that was November, uh, first or second week in November. Now it's the middle of June. Um, so more than six months later, where would you say sentiment stands in Washington on crypto? In, in somewhat of a more precarious place, um, only by virtue of the time lapse that has existed between when FTX happened, then, you know, if you look and remember about the sequential sort of timeline of things after that, we immediately went into like the bank crisis and then like the debanking issues. So time elapse has had a problem in terms of um, sort of overall sentiment for crypto policy in Washington. And there, it's just... In Washington, things get airspace. And if it's not front and center above the fold, it's hard for it to get airspace. And things like chat GPT has had their, you know, air quote, you know, a real life use case moment in Washington. So there's just been other things that have shuffled into the, the mold. Plus, we had the debt ceiling debacle. And I think if you think about that, um, the chair of the financial services, McHenry, has consistently been tapped for different um, initiatives by his leadership. So Speaker McCarthy asked him to support and help him get through the speakership. And then he was in the midst of the banking issues. And then he was in the midst of like the debates and negotiations on the debt ceiling. So his agenda relative to the financial services committee and his work with the ag committee have been put on a little bit of a delay. So I would say all of those things, you know, um, get to a point of saying, crypto policy has taken a backseat to other issues. So, and, but would you say the, um, that sort of sentiment for doing the work, um, what about just the positive negative view of crypto in Washington? Is it improved by virtue of some time passing or is it, is it the same? And maybe the malaise of not having as urgent um, a desire to work on policy on it has, combined to make it slightly worse? Like, what would you say? Like, is crypto stock rising or falling? Or is it flat <laughs> in Washington sentiment? It, it's a toss up. I think it's on a daily, <laughs> it's on a spot basis, right? Yeah. You know, as, as we wish we would have like spot market structure regulation for the crypto space. It, it's the same sort of underwriting on a policy basis. Um, I, I think that we're in a we're in a precarious moment because other ex US jurisdictions have taken more of a forceful lead. So the stock is rising in terms of uh, action because people look at crypto policy and say, "Here, other jurisdictions are doing stuff. We're at risk of losing the tech debate. We need to act because there are market participants that are operating in the US with no certainty, and it's getting better elsewhere." So in, in, an, in the absence of us doing something, we're going to see the industry move elsewhere. So I think yeah. that it does resonate to some people. I'm not saying it resonates to all people because there's certainly some constituency that just doesn't care. Mm -hmm. And if you look at Rep Sherman, he uh, says the same thing at every hearing. He talks about um, uh, Shibu Inu and uh, uh, <laughs> Mongoose and whatever other yeah. uh, coins. And then he says he just doesn't care. Like, we don't need to be the world's leader in crypto because he equates it to cocaine production. I saw that. Yeah. You know what? Let's run that qu quick clip, that snappy clip from Brad Sherman. Thank you. This seems like the 12th hearing we've had on crypto this year. I'm still waiting for a uh, hearing on diversity, equity, and inclusion in this room this year. 
But all these hearings seem to start with the idea that we're falling behind. America is behind Peru in cocaine cultivation. We are behind the Cayman Islands in nefarious, hidden uh, financial transactions. We don't always need to catch up. <laughs> Brad, uh, Representative Brad Sherman from California, doesn't he represent Malibu? Is that, I think, his district? I uh, can't remember the exact somewhere around, district, but I think that's... It's like North I L.A. Right. And, um, yeah, I mean, he's been one of our, I would say, most humorous and vociferous critics, I think, uh, in Congress for a long time. He's consistent in his beliefs. You have to give totally. him credit for that. I'm, and you don't need to win everyone. You just need to win the majority. Yeah. And, like, that's the, the debates in Congress, like, they get very esoteric on specific issues, but at the end of the day, it's like simple fourth grade math. It's like, can you get <laughs> to 60 votes in the Senate or can it get tucked into some other bill and can you have an execution moment where something can pass? Yep. So let's talk uh, on Tuesday of this week, there was a full committee hearing, a uh, full committee uh, of the House Financial Services Committee. Um, it was titled Digital Assets, What the Future Path of policy or, or something like that. Um, I'm, I actually should have it in front of me. I'm embarrassed to have it. It's the future of digital assets, <laughs> providing clarity for Thank the you. digital asset ecosystem. There we go. Thank you. Um, this is a full hearing, and it was a big day on Tuesday. You know, I'll mention a bunch of other things happened on Tuesday, but this was one of the reasons. The guests were, um, the, the witnesses, well, who, who's, yeah. Well, hold who, on, hold on first a second. It was a big day in the Financial Services Committee before that because Yellen testified. That's right, in the morning, right? at that hearing, and this is on the, um, the secretary's testimony on the state of the international financial system. And obviously crypto, right. crypto policy comes up in the conversation. What did she say about crypto? Well, uh, I think that the main tagline, which some of the Republicans, including the chair and the, the chair of the full committee and also the chair of the digital asset committee, French Hill, uh, they referenced a couple times in the hearing yesterday that Yellen explicitly said that a we need stablecoin legislation and a they and b they referenced the FSOC report, uh, which uh, which Treasury explicitly said that we need Congress to enact comprehensive market structure uh, legislation for the sector. It's interesting. So she's also pushing for that. I, I mean, pushing would it, be calling for it. Yeah, I don't know how much I would say pushing. I would yeah. say that they wrote it. FSOC said it. So FSOC is, um, you know, an aggregate body of the chairs of all of the dependent and independent financial regulators. So to the extent that there was a singular statement, which was similarly echoed in the president's executive order, um, you find yourself questioning why crypto policy is so much of an issue if the president said that they wanted to do it. FSOC is saying that they need to do it. And then you have the what appears to be sort of a, a more significant bleed into just a pure partisan activity in Congress who's actually trying to enact progressive policy. It's so weird. It's a strange world. Yeah, if the president and the chairs of the Treasury and FinCEN and the SEC and blah, 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 right, and see the um, consumer protection. The alphabet soup of the regulators. Literally, their, their conglomerate body is also saying we need a bill and – the Republicans are saying we need a bill. Who is opposing it? It's a wing of the Democratic Party that's particularly loud. Is that who's currently? It's it's Senator Elizabeth Warren. Is that who's? Because they're arguing, along with Chair Gensler, that no legislation is required. It's it's some Venn diagram, and it's not all. It's not that all Democrats are opposed to the legislation. There's there's certainly 
a uh, healthy bipartisan bent to the legislation. Right. No question about that. However, if you look at if you look, let's just look just at the Financial Services Committee. If you look at the upper dais, the senior Democrats on uh, the Financial Services Committee, they're raising all sorts of concerns with the market structure bill. Um, they are in, in some forms balking at coming to a uh, consensus deal on the stablecoin legislation. And they're they're looking at the market structure bill saying this is long, it's complicated, we're worried that crypto firms that are currently being sued yeah. and that are doing business through uh, in, in the US are going to continue to potentially get this safe harbor through provisional registration that the bill has. And they're criticizing the commingling of customer funds and the protections that are in the bill there. And then um, Rep Lynch, who's the um, subcommittee vice chair. Yeah, Stephen Lynch, he represents Boston, Massachusetts. Yeah, he's from he's from Massachusetts. Yeah. Uh, he, he's raising concerns. So I, I see that and I say, is there an earnest effort? to strike a deal because you know if one side's really interested in doing something and knows that the path to success requires democratic support like there, there's a deal and negotiation to be had yeah um nonetheless i would say there are others like rep uh, torres and rep nickel on the democratic side who are very supportive of advancing market structure legislation and i would say there are some that um uh, are looking at it and saying you know, I can I can get behind this if these certain concessions are made. And if you look at the tone and the tenor of like Rep Himes from Connecticut, what he was asking the other day, he was asking um, uh, Coy Garrison, who used to be a counsel for Hester Persons, now a partner at Septo. He was asking him about the commingling provisions within the bill and whether or not they can be tightened up. Right. So that's more in line with how I would consider questions that if they're addressed and sufficiently addressed to the concerns, then maybe they can get behind. Yep, that's great. That's, um, that's good to hear that there is. And I would that... say if you look at the the Ag Committee, yep, it's much more bipartisan than the Financial Services Committee. Interesting. So to me, like this is all just a question of like, can the two committees produce this product that they're trying to do? Between there's just a the lot two of work. Entities, it's a lot of work. Yeah, there's a can lot. Can they produce the the provision can they produce a bill that gets through both committees that can go to the house floor and um get more democratic support in the broader chamber i just don't know the answer to that i think it's possible it's possible because of the earnest efforts it seems like of the chairs of both of the committees the house agricultural committee and the house financial service committee and the ranking members right and 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 i think um you know uh chair McHenry was very gracious in thanking ranking member Waters at the beginning of the hearing for um, conducting herself when she was chair in the prior Congress, such a bipartisan effort looking at crypto. And it appears that he's trying to do something similar. That's true. I, I think the difference is just politics on the stable coins, though. So if I were if you were to look at stable coins, I would say senior New York Democrats um, focus on like a state role for right. um, stablecoin oversight because of bit license and NYDFS. So there's a constituency on the Democratic side who's really focused on making sure that happens. And if you look at Velasquez and Meeks, like they have a vested interest in this to protect like New York prerogatives. Right. That doesn't necessarily exist in the same fashion 
for the broader market structure efforts. I see. Which is why it, it appears a little bit more partisan. So um, let's talk a little bit more in detail. There was something in the hearing yesterday that was really surprising. So the witnesses were uh, Jeremy Lair, CEO, founder, Circle, right? The big stablecoin issuer based in Boston. Coy Garrison, former counsel to Hester Peirce, SEC commissioner, uh, Republican appointed SEC commissioner. Um, and then uh, who else was there? Thomas Sexton. He's the president of the NFA. The National and Futures then... Association, which is what the SRO for swap dealers or something for futures market yeah know? yeah they're they're an appointed um independent kind of like finra or something but... yeah kind of like finra okay. equivalent to the space so yeah. semi-regulator but not a government agency um and then this other guy um well yes there was a, also the ceo and founder of avalabs oh true yeah, amin amin gun uh the yeah. founder creator of avax Yes, he and was Jeremy there. Lair was there. I don't know. If I said him there. first, but I think um, Imin, honestly, probably the least interesting of the guests, given that this is more of a policy consideration, and he's a technologist. Um, but and then there was this guy. What is his name? Alan Kaplan. Is yeah. that his name? He's the co-CEO. Aaron, Aaron Kaplan. Aaron Kaplan. He's the co-CEO of Promethean, a crypto asset broker dealer um, that was what a couple weeks ago granted a license from the SEC to be a broker dealer for crypto asset securities, right? Right. And um, no one had ever heard of this company. I, I hadn't. I've been covering the space since 2016. You hadn't heard of them, right? I mean, we were looking into this. I mean, I, I heard about it at the same time, and I think you and I had a, a phone call or conversation. <laughs> like, who is this? About... Who are these people? Yeah, right, exactly. And and this is a really, to me, this was the most interesting, like, substantive, as opposed to sort of, like, qualitative or sentiment. Uh, part of the hearing was this um, co-CEO of Promethean, this new supposed crypto asset securities broker dealer, being grilled by many representatives. No one has heard. So before we get into that in depth, I, I want to point out also uh, U.S. Senator from Alabama, Republican Tommy Tuberville, the day before, I believe, <laughs> on Monday, had published an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal criticizing Promethean. And the SEC for giving them a license and uh, I guess revealing, I didn't know that, again, this is a company no one really knows about, revealing that the company is significantly owned by CCP-connected Chinese investors. 20% according to Mr. Kaplan. And and then, of course, the senator criticizing that uh, from a sort of a national security standpoint and criticizing the regulators for um, missing that and allowing Chinese-based owners to move in crypto, but not American ones, et cetera. Um, so that's a little bit of the backdrop. But you know what? Let's run Let's run a clip. There was one, what was it? Um, member uh, Flood. Representative Re Flood. Representative Flood grilled Promethean about some of this stuff. Let's run that clip. I'd like to start by, uh, to read a question from a comment letter that Promethean sent in response to the SEC's December 2020 special purpose broker dealer framework, quote, the definition of a digital asset security, as used in the proposal, is a digital asset that meets the definition of a security under the federal securities laws. This definition puts a burden on the industry to determine which digital assets are securities. As a result, we believe the cl clarity is needed to understand the regulatory framework they must comply with." End quote. That was in a letter dated April 26 from Prometheum uh, specifically signed by Benjamin S. Kaplan, co-CEO of the company. I offer this into the record without objection. 
This concern, which Promethean themselves raised in 2020, probably sounds familiar for those who track this committee closely. It is the exact same concern we've heard from witnesses in front of this committee before. How can a broker-dealer register if they don't know which assets are a security and which are not? Further, it makes the same argument that other firms have made that the lack of clarity from the SEC puts an undue burden on the industry. Mr. Kaplan, in your testimony, you were very confident that no new legislation is needed in the digital assets space to clarify this question. What has changed between the date of this letter in 2021 and when your firm called for clarity, and now, what has changed? Over the two plus years since that time, there's been additional enforcement actions and statement by the SECs which have clarified any questions that we had in regards to the uh, designation of a digital asset as a security. Mr. Kaplan, Prometheum's website says that Prometheum ATS supports, quote, many tokens that mostly trade on crypto exchanges, end quote. I'd like to dig in on that just a little bit. Can Prometheum customers trade in either? If your answer is yes, please explain how. Not currently. Can Prometheum customers trade in Bitcoin? If your answer is yes, please explain how. No. Just for the audience at home's benefit, Ether and Bitcoin make up more than 60% of the digital asset market. Mr. Kaplan, given that either Ether and Bitcoin make up more than 60% of the digital asset market. If the current system is working, why can't your customers trade the most popular and widely used digital assets? Regulation and new ATSs and custodians uh, should take a crawl, walk, run approach, and essentially uh, they will proceed to add additional assets and abilities as time goes on. I'd like to point out when the- uh, I'm gonna reclaim my time. Mr. Kaplan, did Prometheum receive any additional exemptive relief from the SEC that has not been publicly shared? No. Thank you, Mr. Kaplan. Prometheum's special purpose broker-dealer license does not address the core issue. There is not a consistent definition of a digital asset security within current law. This point was made obvious when Chair Ginsler could not say definitively whether Ether is a digital asset security when asked by Chairman McHenry in this very room a couple months ago. In other words, that same question that Prometheum themselves raised in their 2021 comment letter is still unanswered. That's why legislation is needed. That's the problem that the Chairman's bill works to solve. To testify in front of our committee that your company's charter, which only allows for trading in a very small subset of assets, is evidence that no legislation is needed just doesn't make sense. If anything, the fact that Prometheum's customers cannot trade some of the most popular digital assets is an illustration of the broader problem, Mr. Kaplan. I yield back. Okay, so <laughs> the clip, like, First of all, this representative, I mean, he must have been like a cop or a lawyer. Great interrogator. Um, I was chuckling. Did a very good job. I mean, the question is, I think that a lot of the members had about this thing, Promethean, is what is the, is this a viable regulatory path? It, it, we all thought, it seemed a little bit suspect. Why, after all this time, with the SEC not having approved or made a way for broker-dealers to do crypto, like, how can we bring it all inside the regime if there's nowhere 
to trade it or custody it, right? And it seemed like this was an effort by the SEC to say, oh, look, there is somewhere. We we have let one through, right? But then when, when interrogated, um, Mr. Kaplan says, oh, yeah, you can't trade Bitcoin there. You can't trade ETH there. It's like, what can you trade, right? I think there were a lot of members critical of this. I think, frankly, not in so many words, but really implying that this is like a charade, that this Promethean is sort of like a cutout, like a, like a fake broker dealer, right? Like mostly there for narrative, but not likely to be a viable path. Was that your takeaway? Yeah, I would say there's two takeaways from the hearing. It was A, the there wasn't it's not a real viable path to actually um trade the the um digital assets right that's one and then the second one was like this concern over china and (laughs) it's hard to express sort of the mood and sentiment in committees um but when rep luke demeyer uh who's a very important figure on the financial services committee he's the chair of one of the subcommittees and he's uh, viewed as sort of like a senior thought leader on the Republican side on the committee. Uh, he was, and he's also on the China Select Committee. He was very specifically focused on like the Chinese ownership of, of Prometheum. He was very explicitly uh, focused on the um, the PII and the data infrastructure. Yeah. Where were the like data stored, et cetera. Access, what data protections were right. stored, all of that stuff. So I, I think that was, that was, those were the two tones. But in the in the committee, when Rep. Luchtemeyer was asking these questions, everything was silent. And both on the Republican side <laughs> and the Democratic side, everyone was focused. I know and you, this is a packed. You were there. You place. texted me. You said you could hear a pin drop. Yeah, you could hear a pin drop when he was asking. Everyone's eyes were focused. And I think the one thing that has happened uh, post President Trump is that both Republicans and Democrats are galvanized against. China. This is like one of the only bipartisan issues, genuine. It certainly feels like that. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. But I, I would also recommend for all of the listeners, go read Coy Garrison's testimony. He does a very a good job of explicitly laying out how the, the special purpose um, broker-dealer concept isn't a sufficient, sufficient solution. He lays out sort of the timeline that has existed since September of 2020 when the SEC staff issued the no action letter uh, to FINRA outlining the two non-custodial models for ATSs. And then he lays out sort of everything else thereon, um, explicitly uh, exercising and talking about how the limited scope and duration of the special purpose broker-dealer renders the license not well-suited for market participants, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So I really encourage people to go read that because I think he did a great job of it. Yeah, I think there's it's very clear that like from a pure substance and actual pragmatic and policy and intellectual standpoint, it doesn't make sense. But then you add on top of it the strangeness of this of of Promethean specifically. Um, again, this is a company that was promoting private blockchains in 2020. Um, that's partially owned by direct CCP connected investors in China, known ones, alleged, at least alleged by, you know, members of the House and Senate, I mean, respected ones, um, that doesn't, can't speak to how crypto will be used. Like, there's just a bunch of weird, it's, that's weird. That doesn't make any sense <laughs> at all. I think so. And I, I know uh, you just ran the clip of uh, Representative Flood, but just to underscore that, he explicitly laid out how Prometheum's claims that their special purpose broker 
uh, dealer approval is evidence of a clear path um, for regulatory compliance is just untrue. Yeah. And rather that uh, their inability to trade in widely traded assets like Bitcoin and Ethereum is explicitly why we need legislation. So <laughs> the juxtaposition between those two sentences and like sentiments and why why um, Mr. Kaplan was testifying in front of Congress is quite strange. What's even more strange is that these these witnesses don't come out of thin air. Right. The committees invite them to come testify. Right. And there are Republican witnesses and there are Democratic witnesses. And it you can see that there was a clear intention to try to push a point. Yeah. And I think that's probably something that not isn't getting talked about a lot outside of Washington, Washington, but it does get a lot of airtime here. Yeah, they're definitely he was there for a reason. He he pretty much appeared to be parroting Chair Gensler's views on almost every issue. And then you saw a lot of the Democratic representatives who were uh, critical, who are critical, directed all the questions to him to have them agree with their position. Right. It, it was uh, and this is not unusual to your point. Right. These witnesses are invited for a reason. They're invited by members. They're. Uh, but this was clearly political statement being made. Sure. I, I, I'm just suggesting that it, it gets back to our earlier conversation where we're talking about, do we see the true bipartisan support? Yeah. And I think, yes, there is true bipartisan support. That does exist. It's it's problematic in my mind if you're asking a witness to come testify um, about an issue where the intention is to say, we don't need to do any of this right. because it already exists in the capabilities. And if we know that to be patently untrue, wouldn't it be better if we just had witnesses there who were talking about like specific like what could be issues done. and we're trying to help clarify points right. and make the bill better? Right, right. That's what I mean about him uh, parroting Chair Gensler because Chair Gensler is quite famously said they don't need additional legislation that the existing rules and authorities for the SEC are sufficient. And that's the the tack and strategy that the SEC is taking in its litigation, pr primarily with Coinbase as the example, right? They're saying, dude, under the Exchange Act, like you have to register as an exchange. All of these are unregistered. All you've got to do is come in and fill out the form on the website, right? No additional powers or legislation required, um, right? Force fit it into the powers that already exist. And this, this uh, guy, uh, Mr. Kaplan was fully in support of that view, uh, which, you know, and then he's the, they're the only one that's been approved by the SEC. It's just, it's, it's something, uh, just, it's a little fishy and confusing here. So it just doesn't pass the smell test. No, it right? doesn't. Yeah, no, it doesn't. Okay. So let's, let's move on a little bit before I want to talk to you about um, presidential politics because they're getting a little bit fun. But before we do that, let's chat a little bit more on the market structure bill. You referenced a couple times. This is, uh, you know, tell us what happened. We know stable. There's two main initiatives here, right? Coming out of Congress, it's the stablecoin legislation and the market structure uh, efforts, right? And we mentioned stablecoins a little bit. I don't think we need to go deep into that. It's sort of on the back burner. It feels like right now, but market structure. Uh, Rep. McHenry and uh, the chair of the Ag Committee, whose name is escaping me, um, G. T. Thompson. Thompson. Um, they put out a discussion draft, right? So it's a 160 plus page bill um, to drive the discussion. It's quite comprehensive summarize it for us before <laughs> you don't have to get every point but tell us what it has in it yeah well let me just say on the top end um and mchenry said this in his opening statements that he intends to move the bills out of the committee i think he expressed let me just double check he i think he said like, like mid-july basically he wanted to yeah mark it i up, think like... he said he wanted to he wanted to move it um 
out of the committee upon returning from the July, July 4th, 4th recess. Yeah. So I think like they're they're moving full force ahead. And I, I think there's a lot of agreement. And to your point, otherwise, uh, you know, Representative McHenry is essentially he is a pretty influential and important member of the Republican caucus. You mentioned why right? he helped Speaker um he helped Speaker McCarthy get his get elected as speaker. He worked on the debt ceiling. The fact that he and his staffs and the staff of the committee like also came up with this absolute beast of a bill also like I mean, this guy's really working hard. Goodness. I mean, this is years of work in the making, right? Like it's we've incredible. been having this debate in like the crypto space. I mean, that I, you really have to be I impressed was... by, to be clear, like the comprehensive nature and I think very thoughtful nature of the market structure bill was is really impressive. Sure, this is years of work, that is all I'm saying. Like, there's yeah. at least eight years of substantive work that has gone into, like, this creation of the bill. And sure, it's gotten refined. Like, no question about it. The staffs on the Financial Services Committee and the Ag Committees, like, they're doing, like, a lot of work to pull this together. It's not easy to do. So summarize it for us. What, what What's in there, though? What 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 is well, Again, I would, I would recommend that people actually go look at it. And yeah. if they have thoughts and suggestions to the listeners, they should also send them in. Yeah. Um, and then I would I would really recommend reading um, Coy Garrison's testimony because he did a good job summarizing things too. But just on like a, a quick hit list, the market structure bill creates responsibility and like a clear regulatory framework for the digital asset space, right? Yeah. So the discussion draft creates a new exemption from registration for the sale of digital assets pursuant to an investment contract, and it creates investor protection provisions, i.e aggregate offering limit, um, individual investment limits for non-accredited investors, et cetera. Um, these provisions, like they're modeled after the securities laws and regulations. So it includes Reg A, Reg A+, crowdfunding, Rule 144, all that good stuff. Then it creates a uh, secondary trading pathway for these restricted digital assets on, on ATSs, alternative trading systems and directs the SEC to modernize uh, Reg ATS. The bill also tackles the problem of, of when a digital asset is sold pursuant to a securities transaction um, and can become part of a digital asset that it's no longer securities transaction because it's sufficiently de decentralized. So it has that uh, important characteristic that many people in the industry uh, talk about when, when does uh, a particular asset become decentralized? And when is a network fully sufficiently right. decentralized? Right. Then the, the bill uh, provides the CFTC with authority to regulate spot markets for digital commodity, commodities. That's a big deal. Uh, that doesn't exist today. And that was particularly what Mr. Sexton was there to talk about, to talk about how digital commodity exchanges, dealers, brokers, qualified custodians would have to register with the CFTC, um, how they would have to become members of the NFA, what authorities the NFA has because they would be supervising these new entities. Uh, and then finally, the discussion draft is, um, is limited to the problem at hand that we don't have federal spot market regulation for trading digital assets. That is the problem that we're trying to solve, creating that um, federal regulation for the spot market. So I would say those are like the five things that the uh, bill sort of broadly tackles. It is long. It's very nuanced. And there's many other things there. But that's how I would quickly summarize it. No, great summary, Tyler. Um, there was some interesting stuff. They did some real good work, for example, on decentralization. One of the things they said is that it cannot be uh, a digital commodity. It would have to be a digital security if 
and there's a, a whole list of things, right, and to your point. But one of them was if, if an organization, uh, any organization, owned more than 20% of the supply. So they're actually doing some work on the specifics of what decentralization means, which I think is very smart. And, um, and, and who knows where those thresholds and whatnot all end up, right? But this is one of the core things following uh, um, head of corporate finance at the SEC, Bill Hinman's famous 2018 speech, where he said that Ethereum had become, quote, sufficiently decentralized to no longer be, require registration as a security. Everyone was like, okay, like, what is sufficient decentralization? Literally, like, what is that? Like, can someone tell us, right? And and this bill, I think, admirably attempts to create some actual lines as to what might be sufficiently decentralized. Literally numbers, right? And we'll see where those end up. But I, that, that stuck out to me as one of the most interesting, aside from, of course, I mean, the whole thing is so massive and overhauling of our system. It's it's incredibly thoughtful. I, I really hope we see uh, movement on this. And it's it's really encouraging that uh, Chair McHenry says they're going to move this thing in the, in a month, basically. It'll it'll be moving. Yeah, it's going to get out of the committee. Yeah. Uh, well, we'll no see. doubt about that. Yeah. But I, he's, I think the, the question... he's an influential member of the caucus, though. So, I mean, if he keeps... Totally. Uh, now, as you know, right, you say you tell me all the time, I mean, the, the calendar can overwhelm the House or in the Senate, right? And the reality of the calendar can take hold. And um, so, yeah. Yeah, it, it's just a question of can the bill get out of the house with a sufficient, and I think I've said this on the podcast before, yeah. can the bill get out of the house with a suspension level vote, which requires two thirds of the members present to support the measure? Yeah. If that can happen, then I would say the calculus changes for whether or not it can be advanced out of the Senate to the president. Yeah. Um, so so what, I, you need I like three, three, 350 votes. Uh, no, it's like 270, 280. Okay. It just depends on how many show up. Yeah. 435 members, so it's two-thirds of that. It's yeah. 280-something. Got it. Um, okay, hey, let's do some fun stuff. I know you're actually uh, – you, you actually work on policy. You're not like a politics guy in the, in the sense there is a distinction, you know, in the world of – of politics and policy, but let's talk a little bit of politics for fun here because the the race for president is starting to get a little bit more interesting. And maybe I don't know if you have a take on how any of this could affect crypto. Um, we've got on the Republican side, of course, former President Trump has announced that he is running again. Um, he was arraigned at a Miami federal court on Tuesday uh, for these. Uh, wait, which crimes? Alleged crimes are these for? Oh, these are for the Mar-a-Lago documents? Yeah, these are for the confidential documents that were at Mar-a-Lago. The stacks of boxes now. The pictures, some pictures have been released. It appears to be a lot of documents based on some of the photos. <laughs> Literally stacks and stacks of banker boxes. But he is running. And his vice president, former vice president Mike Pence, has announced that he's running. Um, former New Jersey governor Chris Christie has announced that he's running. And uh, what do we call him? Technologist, uh, uh, biopharma guy, uh, Vivek Ramaswamy is running. Um, am I missing someone? Uh, you're missing two people. Who, you're missing, who, who missing? Um, Senator Tim Scott from South Carolina. Tim Scott, yep. Who is also the ranking member of the Senate Banking Committee, which, oh, by the way, has jurisdiction over all the things that we're talking about today. <laughs> Interesting. Um, and then you're also missing uh, Governor DeSantis. Oh, yes. And, of course, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. So we've got a pretty interesting and big field. We've that, got... That's just on the Republican side. Correct. That's just on the Republican side. We'll talk about the Democratic thing in a second. But let's talk about these these this slate that we have out here. Now, Vivek uh, Ramaswamy, he spoke at Bitcoin 2023 and his... He is loudly pro Bitcoin. 
So that's great. But he's probably the longest shot candidate in this field. Um, anyone else in there stand out to you on the crypto side as being interesting? I, I guess Governor DeSantis says his crypto, he seems maybe supportive, but he's put forth a bill or they put forth some bill in Florida banning CBDCs. So he's clearly aware of crypto policy, but anything with him or anyone else stand out to you? Well, I mean, Trump uh, had an NFT man, right? He, uh, <laughs> yeah. so, so that happened. I mean, I, I don't think I would look at the field and say there's a, a an explicitly pro-crypto candidate in there. I would say there are many candidates that are probably more intellectually open to uh, embracing the industry or at least letting it flourish in the U.S. And there are certainly, I, I think it's true for all of the candidates, that they are supportive of technology being developed in the U.S. as opposed to uh, out, outsourcing that. Yeah, well, so Vivek, I will say, is explicitly pro-crypto. But like I said, he's the the longest shot candidate. To me, um, I I don't know. It's in, just if you had to just back of the napkin here, Tyler, gun to your head, you think President Trump wins the nomination? It's I think it's certain, at this point in time, and again, I mean the I polls say right now, definitely yes. I mean he's leading by it's, a lot right now. Yeah, it's his to lose for sure, and I think all of these indictments, in some weird way, help him because if you look at the field, like he would rather, I think he would rather it be the case that it's a stacked field because he knows he has um, some type of just ingrained base that's always going to support. Whereas theirs him. is diluted, basically. The, Exactly. If yeah. you can get through the primaries, particularly the early ones, with twenty to twenty-five percent of the the yeah. um, primary voters supporting them, like, does he really need anything else? Yeah, not necessarily. He did say, "I am not a fan of Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies uh, because he uh, believes they threaten the dollar." Uh, that was one of his only statements ever on crypto as president, um, and he did have Secretary Mnuchin who, you know, I wouldn't say was terrible, but did advance that sort of midnight rulemaking at FinCEN that would have been detrimental to self-custody, uh, which the industry widely pushed back on and I, I, I was forced to be tabled or was tabled by the Biden administration when they came in and halted all rulemaking. And I guess it's still technically there at FinCEN, but inactive or something. So yeah. he, he, he hasn't been good. President Trump was not good for crypto, quote unquote, but he wasn't certainly was not as engaged or um, antagonistic as the current Democratic administration. Um, right. I mean, I don't think this is top of the no. issue list for President Biden either. Um, you know, I, I think you could say that Biden was somewhat supportive of the space by virtue of issuing the executive order. However, if you look at the sum total of the things that have happened right. uh, after that, I don't think you could say that they are, that, the, that President Biden or his team are particularly helpful to anything. If anything, the the independent regulators have been given such a long leash right. that they've run roughshod. I agree, but also we have seen from the White House some negative stuff, right? Um, you had uh, Brian Deese's blog, like essentially mitigating the risks of crypto assets or whatever, right? That's right there on the White House's website. Absolutely. I think you have to remember that was like within the context of the banking it was. issues. And I'm, was. I'm not defending it. No, no, I, I know think you're it's not. highly abnormal for the White House to put out <laughs> a statement like that when the, the prudential banking regulators were the ones responsible for this. Yeah. And, and, and the after effects and reports 
suggest that it had nothing to do with crypto itself. And you have the academics at like the CEA, like putting out negative stuff. There was this thing. Let me ask you something, Tyler. There was the I think it was the Council for Economic Advisors. They were the ones that yep. suggested that thirty percent um, after like a VAT tax, Dame tax, right? Yeah, on digital asset mining. It wasn't the White House, right? It was one of those policy advisory councils that suggested that tax, right? It's not explicitly an advisory council. It, it is. It does live within the White House. And yeah. I think it was President Truman who set up the CEA, and it was supposed to yeah. like produce an annual report on the state of the economy to the president. It yeah. still does that. Yeah. Um, they are quasi-independent when you look at them versus the White House's domestic policy council or the... Um, NEC, the National Economic Council, those explicitly live within like the White House. Yep. And the CEA does too. It's just slightly different. Yep. But they they were the ones that uh, floated the concept of that tax, right? It wasn't the right. Yeah. But then so and then during the debt ceiling uh, debate, there were some. I think uh, Senator Loomis and and maybe some others um, said, "Hey, we kept that tax out of the debt ceiling deal." And you recall that President Biden had explicitly said uh, that what was the statement that Republicans wanted to protect like wealthy crypto bros instead of like helping people buy food or something was the critical statement. I think that was probably in reference more to the, uh, the crypto wash sale rule stuff. Yeah. But some people took a victory lap and said they helped keep that 30 percent tax out. Was that was that tax ever in? Was that actually ever introduced or floated it seemed kind of not to me that, it, that this victory lap some of our allies some of crypto's allies were taking and bitcoin's allies that like did that was that ever viable to be in there i don't think it was ever like particularly viable i think that you know there's lots of people in washington who uh want to claim credit what's the what's the quote uh, yeah. success has many parents right yeah, yeah. and exactly I, I don't think it's true that it was like an earnest in debate yeah, but if but um, hey, if that was brought up in conversations and you, our representatives, helped keep it out, thank you. Um, but I just I remember that didn't seem I didn't think it was actually viable. Uh, okay, this is just I mean now we're I, we're really straying here, but the Democratic side now for president, right? You have um, you have uh, Marianne Williamson who ran uh, previously, and you have Robert F Kennedy Jr. I think are the ones I've heard that have announced. But the president is and, the and, and the current president. Well, and then President Biden. Sorry, yes. and But the president is the head of the party by definition, right? And um, primaries don't exist. They're not real. They're not constitutional, right? There is anyone can essentially, whatever the rules are, but get on a ballot for like the general election is the actual election. Primaries are merely like which group decides to have a runoff to say like our person's going to be there, right? So what I'm getting at here is the Democrats are not likely to have a primary, are they? It, it seems unlikely. I, all the the chatter that I have heard is that the the primary sort of debate process is going to be sort of not existent. Yeah, like why if if you're the party and you're happy, you're the party leadership, the party apparatus, the party is happy with their incumbent president who is running for re-election. You only harm that president's prospects by opening up a primary process, right? It, it would be the exact same thing that we saw. I don't remember what year the election was where Ross Perot ran in, uh, as an independent. Is that right? Yep, yep. And then George H.W. Bush was running, I guess it was against Clinton. Yeah. It must have been 92, right? It must have been 92, yeah. 
92. So yeah, because 92. 96 was um, um, the other uh, guy who ran um, no, that nice old uh, Republican. He did the Pepsi commercial. What was that guy's name? Um, you know, oh, was Bob Dole. It was, yeah, Bob, it was Bob Dole, Dole was 96. Yeah, and 92 was Ross Perot. And he had to run as an independent, right? Right. But I think he got almost 18% of the vote, That's which wild. really took away the uh, a base of support that in absence of him running would have likely gone to H.W. Bush. Right. So maybe we could see something like that happen on the Democratic side. I, I just don't know. Yeah. So um, as you know, I worked in like Republican policy <laughs> right. politics circles. I'm, I'm less attuned to this than totally I and uh, totally get that. And 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 but I, I mention it. It's particularly interesting to me because Robert F. Kennedy Jr. is a vo- vocal advocate for Bitcoin. Um, he gave a rousing speech at Bitcoin 2023. Uh, and um, so. Yeah, I mean, to me, he seems the most likely to maybe run as an independent. This is a lifelong Democrat. Of course, this is the son of former um, Attorney General Robert F. Kennedy and the nephew of former President John F. Kennedy. Um, anyway, he's a very interesting candidate just from in general. Like, he has a wide uh, range of very interesting positions. Um, so I, I think are interesting. Um, so worth checking out. But yeah, unlikely he's going to get his uh, day on the ballot unless he runs as an independent is what it looks like. Perhaps, yeah. There's a lot of time that can happen. There's so much time between now and when you really need to get in in earnest. Like when when did Trump get into the race in pretty late September of fifteen when he came down came down the, the escalator. elevator again? Yeah, came down the escalator. <laughs> and so if you think about the cycle, there's there's just so much else that can happen. Yeah. Now I will say, like I personally think that the presidential politics and who the party nominees are are more impactful in the Senate races. And that's what I'll be paying attention to in terms of that. I think who the president is obviously has a significant impact on who's leading our regulators. Yeah, And it matters for who our uh, appointees are at the in the cabinet, who the secretary of the treasury becomes, but also matters who's the chair of the CFTC, the SDC, who's running the OCC, who's running the FDIC, et cetera. Yep. Like it just matters in so many other areas that like people should pay attention to it for that reason. Too. Totally. But your point was that um, the top of the ballot, quote unquote, like that, that really, if you have a lot of energy behind a presidential candidate, that's why a lot of voters go out to vote. And that can really impact the down ballot races, like for the Senate or the House, right? Where they a hundred percent. Yeah. And I, I think in particular, have more of an effect this time in the Senate. Interesting. Um, look, man, this is a great conversation, Tyler. Thanks for checking in uh, from Washington. And uh, T-Dog, T-Will, uh, you're like the T-Will of T-Bills, um, Tyler Williams. <laughs> <laughs> Tyler Williams, Galaxy's head of public policy in Washington. Thank you so much for joining Galaxy Brains, as always, my friend. Thanks for having me. Good to see you. That's it for Galaxy Brains this week. Thank you to our guests, Tyler Williams and Bimnet Abibi, as always. What a great, interesting conversation with Tyler about Washington. So much happening down there as it relates to crypto. And by the way, in general, um, I really enjoyed that. And um, look, that's all we've got for this week. Have a great weekend and we'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening to Galaxy Brains, the weekly podcast from Galaxy Research. If you enjoy the show, please like, rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. To follow Galaxy Research, sign up for our weekly newsletter at gdr.email, read our content at galaxy.com research, and follow us on Twitter at glxyresearch. See you next week.